Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, an ND Insider podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Notre Dame resumed practice last Saturday following a three-day pause, and that's about the only update we received from the Irish football program since our last podcast. Uh, no, no additional testing results have been shared since uh, the five players tested positive last week, which was through Wednesday. But the season opener against Duke is just a little bit more than two weeks away. Um, so we're back with another podcast. Um, this morning came confirmation from uh, both Notre Dame and USF that they will indeed play in Notre Dame Stadium on September 19th. But in addition to, the, to that game this season, uh, the teams will also schedule a home and home for years to still be determined. Uh, Eric, I wanted to start there. Are you surprised that Notre Dame was interested in games with USF beyond just this season? A little bit just because I know how few spots there are on the schedule. In this case, South Florida wasn't looking for a true home-and-home arrangement. They were willing to go two-for-one. So that surprised me a little bit that they were – able to add. Now, again, we don't know the years and the dates yeah, it could be necessarily with us. So, so this could be in 2040 and 2048 uh, when Charlie Weiss Jr. is a grandson or a grandfather. But, uh, um, you know, I was a little bit surprised, but where it makes some sense is it gets Notre Dame, you know, in the pregame, even when the games are up here, a presence in the Tampa area And there's a lot of great football players in the Tampa area. And also IMG Academy is really close in Bradenton. So there's some recruiting benefit to playing South Florida, even though its name is not geographically correct. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's interesting that they have agreed to play a a true road game with South Florida. Notre Dame hasn't played a true road game against a group of five team since 2015 against Temple. So it's been a while. And depending on when this game gets scheduled, it could still be a while. Um, and uh, I, I, it's going to be uh, curious to see where, how, how far down the line they're willing to schedule this, uh, I guess, home and home for the, the next two games uh, and how that works out for Notre Dame. But um, I, I'd also be curious to know if USF sort of 
demanded that to be the terms of playing them this season. Said, okay, we'll come there next year, but we want a home and home after that. And um, if that obviously didn't sway Notre Dame from not doing it, otherwise they just probably wouldn't have done it. But um, I think uh, it'd be fascinating to know how those discussions went. The preseason AP poll was also uh, released this week, Eric, and you are a voter. And Notre Dame came in at number 10. Uh, The AP decided to keep all the teams that uh, aren't playing this season still on the poll. Um, uh, As a voter yourself, did you agree with that decision? I did, especially when I heard, uh, you know, the sports editor for AP nationally is Ralph Rousseau explained it. I, I think there's history that you want to tip your cap to and that this is how things would have looked like if everybody was playing. And and as a voter, it was pretty easy because they had us vote so early that we had already submitted our ballot before a lot of the teams dropped out. And so initially they were going to make us amend the ballot and they just said, we're just going to keep your original ballot. So it wasn't like you could be biased by teams dropping out. So it was, it was my original ballot. I think that makes perfect sense. And I also think it makes sense then to not rank those teams once we get going um, to, to drop them out, because how would you measure, you know, preseason polls are a guess. Once you get into the season, you start to get information. If you have no information about Ohio state or USC, how are you going to compare them to teams that are actually playing? So I think this is a good system they're also going to have us rank those teams if they play in the spring in a separate AP poll. So <laughs> I'll be busy the whole year doing will it this. Be a, will it be a shorter poll? Will it be an AP top 15 or what? Are they still going to rank a whole 25 teams? Even though yeah, that's going to be interesting <laughs> because as of now, there would be only four conferences playing in that. Yeah, you might have a, a team with a losing record in the, in the poll still. <laughs> they could. That's kind of like – hockey and lacrosse sometimes right yeah I think it makes sense because it, it also even if the, there is a poll for the spring it still gives you a better picture of what what the season looked like heading into it um, and what the expectations were for all these different programs um, and it just it's it's almost like documenting it and on record I think I know many people question how important the AP poll is now because there's a college football poll but I think it, 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 it obviously canvases more people in terms of who, who, the, who is voting, but it also just gives everyone a sense of how these teams are regarded nationally. And so I think it's still important. Um, and so I, I, thought it, I thought it was the right decision. Um, I did look at your ballot because you did share how you voted, and you had Notre Dame at number seven, which was a few spots higher than what they came. Number six. Or no, number six. Sorry, Notre Dame would have been seven if uh, they didn't include the uh, – um, the teams that aren't playing. That's, I got those two numbers mixed up. So uh, I noticed you had Notre Dame ahead of Georgia, Oregon, and LSU. Obviously, Oregon's not playing, but um, Georgia was the one that piqued my interest the most. What, what, what gave Notre Dame the, the nod ahead of Georgia in your mind? I think some of it is playing an all-SEC schedule for Georgia. Um, some is – I'm not sure how the quarterback system – situation is going to play out. They have two good options with uh, Jamie Newman and JT Daniel, but I don't know, again, how they're going to fare. Um, 
you know, as first year starters in that system, um, Georgia, I was found out today one of their best wide receivers is out for the season. That didn't factor into it. I just didn't think, I think this Notre Dame team has a very high ceiling. Now, they're going to have to have every check mark that's in the if box checked as a positive. But some of the way that they conducted themselves this summer, the discipline that they showed this summer, I, I just think that this could be a pretty good team. So um, that's why I went with them where I did. All right. Uh, the preseason AP All-American teams were also released in the same fashions with uh, players that are, have opted out or teams aren't playing were still made the preseason All-American teams. Um, and no Notre Dame players made uh, the AP All-American teams. Who was uh, left off of a Notre Dame player that you thought would, would have been, should have been on the list? Well, I actually voted for two of them. I'm, I'm on the it, – it's a small – well, it's the 62 people that vote for the um, poll are also the same people that vote for the preseason team. So I voted for Kyle Hamilton at safety and Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa at one of the linebacker spots. It, I, I think you can make an argument to have them on or off, but I, I think Kyle Hamilton's Notre Dame's best player. I think Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa is a second best player and – the attention he's getting from the NFL scouts right now influenced me. And just the way he played at the end of the year influenced me a lot. Um, so I looked at the potential. I think you could make a case for Liam Eichenberg. I think that's a harder case to make. Uh, but I would say those three were the guys that should have gotten some votes. Yeah, I think if I had to pick one to put on there, it probably would have been Jeremiah. Um Especially, I looked at Northwestern's Patty Fisher made the second team. Um, he had 89 tackles last season. Uh, Jeremiah had 80, but uh, Jeremiah had 54 solo tackles compared to 38 solo tackles uh, from Fisher. So I thought um, if you wanted to make an argument for Jeremiah over him, that would have been a good one. I, I don't even think there's a comparison between those two guys. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, just because what some of what. Jeremiah does, and you could see the pass rush ability and the negative playability too. But some of what he does doesn't show up. Right. He, a lot of the quarterback checking down to another receiver is Jeremiah blanketing his receiver. And I don't think Patty Fisher can hold a candle to what Jeremiah does in coverage. I, Notre Dame, I don't think, has had a linebacker that, well, Tranquil was pretty good, but I would say Jalen was the best in coverage that I've seen in a long time. And I think Jeremiah is in the same sentence as Jalen, not as a linebacker overall, but as a coverage guy. Sure. Yeah. And, I, and then I looked at the safeties. I, I don't, I don't do research ahead of time because I'm not voting for these teams. Uh, but I saw a TCU safety Trevon Mooring, and I was like, I'm not sure I know who that is. And so I looked up his stats and he had decent stats, but I think what differentiated him, he has a pro football focus score that was very high. It was the third most valuable ever. Um, so I think, that, that was kind of interesting in my mind to see that it's clearly voters are paying attention to that because I don't know that he would have been a guy that people would have necessarily associated with being a, an all American um, if for that. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. And certainly Kyle Hamilton is, has graded well in pro football focus, but um, had, has had fewer opportunities as he wasn't a starter last year, but expected to, to really have a big season this year. I think, I think you could also wonder if how, 
how Kyle's success this season will correlate with the rest of the secondary with there being some question marks around him. Um, it, it certainly playing in last year's secondary was probably a bit easier than it will be playing in this year's secondary, but also these guys that are getting chances could end up having um, good career or good seasons as well. Right. And Kyle will be playing more downs this year. <laughs> yeah, as a right. starter, yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. He's going to have the opportunity to put up plenty of stats. I'm just curious to see how, the secondary does as a, as a, as a unit and how that will um, affect his status um, in terms of reputation. Uh, the last one I have uh, in terms of news from this week was Isaiah Robertson entering the transfer portal. Um, he earlier this month, Notre Dame declared him as medically disqualified. Um, and now he wants to see if he could graduate transfer. He, he is scheduled to graduate in December. Um, so you would in theory be eligible to play next season. Um, and then, it was, I, was, I was trying to figure out, I'm not sure that I had a concrete answer, if, he, if they would give him a waiver for this past year of being a medical redshirt, in theory he would have two available because he has his normal redshirt available. And then they're also extending everyone eligibility this year in the, NCAA, in, in the NCAA because of the COVID-19 stuff. So I'm not sure if he would have two years or even maybe three. Um, I, I think that would be kind of crazy, but um, I, I don't know how that's going to all work out. I think he probably has some – hurdles to clear to, to be a declared medically eligible at whatever school he ends up at. Um, I guess just first off, if he is healthy, do you think he could be successful elsewhere? You know, he, he's a hard guy to figure out because when he came in, it looked like he was a guy that would eventually play some here. I mean, he played in all 12 games as a freshman, mostly on special teams. Um, and then just kind of became obsolete. You know, he wasn't a fit, a safety fit in the Mike Elko Clark lead defense. Then linebacker really wasn't his thing. They moved him over to wide receiver. And there were a couple practices where you say, okay, number 17 looks okay there. Um, I think he's going to have to go down to the, either the FCS level or the, you know, group of five level and maybe not a really good team at the group of five, but he probably could play at that level. Um, But again, the whole medical clearance thing is very weird. um, And he's going to have to get that from a doctor at his new school. And then you kind of wonder, okay, why was he ruled as a medical hardship at Notre Dame? It seems like there needs to be an explanation there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I always liked him as an athlete, and I, even when he was a recruit, despite them recruiting him as a safety, I thought he might be a better receiver than a safety. He played both in high school, um, and then he switched to wide receiver, so I thought, well, maybe he'll make something of this switch, and it never really materialized. I think I, – I, I don't know for sure what he if he had an injury last year, and that was part of the reason he wasn't able to play. Um, and obviously – Notre Dame declared that he had some sort of injury this year, though. Um, Notre Dame did not disclose what that injury was. And when I reached out to Isaiah this week, he didn't directly answer that question when I sent him a text message about it. So I don't know how that's going to work out. Do you think it would look bad on Notre Dame if he's cleared medically somewhere else? I think there would be questions to ask. You know, I think, I think that's reasonable to ask the questions and say, Hey, what, what made you think that he was, you know, needed to do a medical hardship? 
um, when, you know, just shortly thereafter, he felt fit enough to jump into the transfer portal. Um, You know, I I thought he was going to transfer all along, especially when he wasn't on the spring roster. And had we had spring football, maybe that would have played out. You know, maybe he would have gotten to the end of spring semester and jumped into the portal then. But I think the um, the whole COVID thing, you know, not not kind of sifting through the depth we, chart kind of thing affected the transfer portal in different ways. And he, he didn't graduate in, uh, soon enough either. He's going to graduate in December, so he still needed to fit yeah. here at Notre Dame and obviously wants to do that. And certainly he doesn't have to, given the eligibility change with everyone getting a, a free year this year, he could have just decided – he could have just transferred and, and not graduate here. But obviously that he, that is of a, a value to him. Um, so he wants to finish what he started here at Notre Dame. Um, I know Michael Deep was a guy I wrote about actually this, this year because um, it was just a guy I'd always been curious about. He's chasing a baseball career. And he was medically disqualified at Notre Dame with an elbow injury and – he ended up graduating from Notre Dame and then transferred to Bethune-Cookman um, to play baseball where he was medically cleared. And he said that process was pretty complicated, um, but he was able to get cleared because, one, it's a different sport. So I think it was easier to kind of describe how he has this elbow injury that is really exasperated when it comes in contact with stuff. He's a left-handed batter, and it was his, it was his left elbow um, so how many times – If the only time he's really going to get hit on the left elbow is with a pitch maybe, and you don't get hit on your inside arm as much as you would get on, on your outside arm. So um, that was kind of the way he was able to navigate that, and I'm curious to see how things play out for Isaiah Robertson. Certainly hope the best for him, and if he if he can still play medically, he gets, uh, gets that clearance, and we find out how that process worked out with Notre Dame as well. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's – you guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First question we have is Ken from Pensacola, Florida. A lot of attention, and rightly so, has been placed on the players in COVID-19. But what about the sports writers? Are they being tested, and are the safeguards from all players secure enough? Thanks, and you all be safe. Um, well, the one thing that we know from today, from third or Wednesday, is that Thursday, uh, today's Thursday. Today's Thursday. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I can't keep my days straight. Uh, the one thing we know from Thursday is that we're not going to have any face-to-face contact with Brian Kelly or the players. So they don't have to worry about us giving them COVID-19. Even the sports information staff is split. Um, There's going to be one particular person in the press box. The people that deal with the players and Brian Kelly on a day-to-day basis will be never in contact with us. So it's, it's, they're going to be protected from us. As far as, you know, us going to the game and keeping safe. We found out all the safety protocols. The press box is going to be very empty. There's going to be filters in there. There's going to be fresh air, uh, mask wearing, all kinds of safety protocols. Uh, And then we will do a temperature check and answer some health questions before we get our credential. I've taken a COVID test before. Tyler has too. 
uh, for different reasons. Um, and I wouldn't be averse to taking one every week if they asked me to. I, I think I should probably clarify that neither of us had COVID at any point. Right. We did both take it. The different reasons wasn't that because either of us had COVID. It was out, out of precaution. But um, we, uh, yeah, I think that Notre Dame seems to have it really planned out. Um, I don't think that we will argue with not having face-to-face contact with the players and coaches. Certainly we want to have as much access to them as possible in terms of being able to interview them. We haven't been able to interview any players since uh, preseason camp started. Hopefully that changes soon. Um, but, yeah, I think the plans are in place for, for uh, Notre Dame to let us come to games in a limited capacity. Um, and, and the same goes for traveling to games uh, against ACC opponents. Um, so it's going to be a fascinating year for, uh, for us reporters and something I'm very interested in documenting. documenting. Um, I, I actually covered my first live events this past weekend covering local high school football. And even the local high schools have policies in place of well, how they want us to get into the game photographers are only allowed in the end zones at the at, at high school games they're not allowed on the sidelines near the players um but le- the games last week i was able to sit in the press box but we were spaced out the press box i was in on a friday night i was in basically a room by myself so there wasn't even anyone in there with me um and so it's uh it's been interesting i i think uh on the high school level it's it's a bit strange to me because there's there just isn't any sort of regular testing so we have very little idea of how it's being passed around to each, to the players and stuff like that, unless people become symptomatic. Um, but I think uh, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be, I don't know if fun's the right way to say it, but it's going to be a, uh, a wild season and uh, something that is going to be new for everyone. And uh, it looks like it's going to happen. So I think this is probably about as confident as I've been um, since we started this whole deal that, that football is going to actually get played. We're, a little more than two weeks away and it seems like all signs are good as long as everyone can stay uh covid free as as much as possible when whenever notre dame decides whatever they're going to do if it's letting students back on campus for classes or whatnot next question is from brian markley at brian g markley if students were sent home from campus prematurely due to covid would this automatically mark the end of the football season for notre dame if not what intelligence do you have on the logistics of how would or how, of how football could continue to exist without other students on campus? Well, I'm going to share the numbers from today, from Thursday, really quickly. Um, there were 12 positive results out of 409 tests. That's a 2.9% positivity rate. That is the lowest since this crisis started. Um, and then the cumulative positivity rate is 10.8%. Uh, 512 cases, 4,738 tests. And so that's come down. At the height of it, the cumulative average was 17.2%. So the numbers are coming down. But the question is, if if they reverse themselves, Father Jenkins says, get out of here, get out of South Bend, go back to your homes. Could football be played? I think if you asked me that question in March or April, I'd say absolutely not because that's what Father Jenkins said then and that's what Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director, said then. But I think circumstances have changed on all the campuses. And here's the two things that I think changed. One is Notre Dame made 
a deal with the ACC to be an ACC member for a year. And I think in doing so, there is some obligation of doing things as a conference. For them to pull out two weeks or less before the start of the season and say, sorry, you're just going to have to find opponents for those weeks that we're going to play these 10 teams, I think is a tough ask. I think the other thing is that the football players came back in June. When they arrived, there was one positive test, and then there was one additional positive test during the summer before the students came back. And that could have been a later arriving student, a walk-on, for example. Um, So one positive test. They made the sacrifice. They made the bubble work. And then when the students came back, their numbers went up and the student numbers went up. And I think there's an argument that as long as they're all going to class in the same fashion, they're either doing remote learning or they're back home and learning, and there's some people on campus, grad students or whatever, I think you can make the case for football. I think there is a path for that to happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if it did happen. I I think Father Jenkins really has to look at those elements and that the football team did make the sacrifices. I think they've earned the right to play if they want to play. And we saw the signed letter from the, uh, the SWAT team captain saying we want to play. Yeah, in terms of the logistics of how football would continue, I don't know that it would change much. I think uh, they would take online classes just like the rest of the other students and probably still live in their current housing. I don't know that they would go back to like doing what they were doing in the summer in terms of everyone being in the Morris Inn. Um, but I, th- I, I do th- – if school were canceled or if school was ter- uh, changed to online only for the entire semester or year or whatever – I mean, I'd be interested to see how many of the students that aren't living in dorms, the students that are renting off-campus apartments, how many of those students would still stay in town because maybe they just want to be here and want to be around their friends that maybe they all decide to stay in town. So in that case, I don't know that it would necessarily be safer, especially if, the, if Notre Dame isn't testing those students because they're not, they're not enrolled in, or not enrolled in, in school on campus. Um, so I, I think that it would be that would be something that I would keep an eye on if if that were how things panned out. Obviously, um, Notre Dame football—it's on the Notre Dame football players to try and avoid those those people and those those environments. And certainly, they should be able to, especially if they don't have any reason to um, interact with them on campus for anything. So um, that's the only thing that I I would be a little bit nervous about if if school um, goes to online. Um, but I think uh, otherwise, I think Notre Dame football has a pretty good idea of how things will work out for them if, if that's what happens. Right, and again, we're, we're emphasizing it's not trending in that direction right now. The numbers are coming down. Correct. But they could go right back up as soon as they all start going to class together. Uh, next true. question is from D- Don Huff at dhuff2003. With Notre Dame moving the timing of the semester up and ending by Thanksgiving, what impact slash advantages or disadvantages do you think that could provide to the team being able to focus just on football and not school post Thanksgiving. Um, I think about how some graduate students and he used Drew Trenkel as an example benefited in the past with the expanded ability to focus on football. So do you think there's an advantage that Notre Dame has by ending class at, at, at Thanksgiving? Well, they only have really technically one game after Thanksgiving. They have one Friday after Thanksgiving, but they will have been a class that week and maybe even in finals that week. 
uh, and that's the North Carolina Friday night game on the road. And then they have a Syracuse game at home on December 5th. Uh, Certainly that week, you could say, yeah, they would be able to not just benefit from focusing on football, but also the recovery time. You know, what benefited Drew Tranquil a lot of times was he was able to get his body healthy just because he was able to spend so many hours in recovery and so forth. But just that one week, I don't, I don't know. And when we look back at the Michigan game last year, <laughs> yeah, they had fall break, a bye week. They had everything going their way. It's almost like you got them out of their rhythm. So I, I don't know that. I think it's a really good question. I just don't think I have a, an answer that you're going to like. I, I, I think it's really minimal the effect it can have. It, it could also impact the, the ACC championship game. Um, depending, That's true. Depending on how, when that game is played, because it it's could be one of two weeks, it could have been, if Notre Dame was on its normal schedule, they, they could have been having to deal with finals or something towards towards that. Um, but I, I think, I, like you mentioned, and it's, it's kind of what I mentioned with the, if, if, if online, if Notre Dame goes back to online classes and students kind of stay on campus while they're doing online camp, or stay in town while doing online classes, I think, Sometimes you lose that that um, that schedule that you're on, that routine, and sometimes that leads to making uh, decisions that you maybe wouldn't make otherwise if you had something that you knew, knew you needed to be somewhere at some time. You may end up playing video games for too long. I can speak for myself. I end up to, when I don't have any responsibilities. Sometimes uh, the the time really goes by when you start playing video games, and you could be a few hours into it and not realize how much time you wasted, and that could um, your sleep sleep schedule. Um, whatever you may be doing, sort of the ups and downs of your typical day, and maybe that changes. I, I think I'm interested to see how the players handle the demands that they've been under in terms of the, essentially their living conditions and how strict they've had to be with sort of living in this not really a bubble but sort of a bubble um, since June. It's, it, I feel like this has got to be really demanding. So to make it all the way to de- till December with that mindset I think is going to be challenging. Um, so I, I'm curious to see how that, if if and how that sort of affects players as as they go through what's all, all normally. I mean, a football season's tough in any under any circumstances, but I imagine this has to be a little bit more draining than normal. So I'm curious to see if maybe some mental fatigue sets in during the season because of that. Next question is for Matthew Rogers at Matt S Rogers. Of the teams trying to play in the spring, will they be playing for any kind of national championship? Seems like there are enough teams left in the fall for someone to make a legit claim as national champs. But will Ohio State and company? But what will Ohio State and company be playing for in the spring? Bragging rights? Um, no, I think they'll probably have some kind of postseason bowl game for them. Maybe even in the Rose Bowl, even though the Rose Bowl is one of the fall semifinals for the college football playoff, they could certainly open it up again in the spring and let the big 10 and the PAC 12 champs play out there. And, you know, maybe there'll be an asterisk in the record book as saying, Hey, Ohio state was the best team in the AP poll um, in, in the spring or whoever USC Cal um, was the best team. And they'll have that little asterisk, but they won't be looked upon as national champions because they didn't play in the playoff. So, yeah. um, and and they'll also be playing to to develop the players, especially the underclassmen for future years. I mean, you don't want to lose a, a whole year of development. I'm still really 
curious about how that's all going to work and trying to fit two seasons into one calendar year. Yeah, I, I, I imagine they'll probably because there's nothing stopping them from creating their own championship. That's, I mean, that's what used to happen back in the old days. There was all kinds of polls and championships that were that were deemed. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, the college football playoff obviously is still planning to uh, have a, a crown a champion for this fall season. And I think in whatever record books there are, I think there probably should be listed a, a fall champion and a spring champion in some way. Obviously, the with more teams playing in the fall, if it holds to that, you would that team's going to have more credibility. But even then, I mean, not having to play against any Big Ten or Pac-12 teams, um, that that's a big deal because there are some very good teams in those conferences. So um, I think uh, it'll be just sort of an it's an asterisk of a season. I think for everyone, no matter if you're playing in the fall or the spring. Um, and and the thing about it, the the bowl games, I'm sure they'll be happy to host more bowl games and the TV networks will be happy to, to, to accommodate them whenever that would be, if it's in April or May or how that's going to work out. Now, certainly the quality of the games might be, be strange and it's going to be hard to kind of manufacture. I guess you just – there'd be a lot of Big Ten versus Pac-12 games. You just kind of create a schedule of every, every Big Ten team plays – every Pac-12 team and try to work things out from there. Everyone gets to play in a bowl game. I'm not sure how that's all going to pan out, but I imagine especially some of these bowls that don't ha- won't be able to be played like they normally are, we'll, we'll sort of try to figure a way to, to make things work. Yeah, the one kind of unknown, and it's always unknown, is what's the virus going to be like next spring? Will there be vaccines and therapeutics? You know, we know one big development in the last couple of days is the lateral flow tests are now coming. We know that they're going to be here in October and that there's going to be a capacity for 50 million a month. They're $5 tests uh, that don't need a lab. And that's going to change a lot of our, the way we do things and the way the college sports is going to be able to test instead of testing maybe three times a week during the season, which I think is going to be the standard, I think you're going to be able to test every day once you have those lateral flow tests in October. Yeah, it's uh, there's seems to always be new developments in the testing front. and uh, Science I, has not let us down. No, I'm, I'm just of the mind of, okay, I just want to see it first. Like, I, I appreciate all the work you guys are doing, but when, when I get one in my hands, then, then it feels a little bit different. So, you never know what kind of hiccups could come between now and October, but um, it's certainly they are pushing forward and, and, and developing um, interesting and uh, valuable ways that we can uh, improve testing. Uh, next question is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. Okay, prediction time. If a full season gets played, will Kyle Hamilton be a first-team All-American? Well, I have to say yes since I voted him on the preseason team, so <laughs> it'd be kind of silly for me to say, well, I don't know about that. I just want to make his dad happy. Um, <laughs> I didn't do it for those reasons. I think Kyle Hamilton is one of the best football players in the country, and I think he's Notre Dame's best player. Yeah, I think just based on odds, I would take the field. Um, three of the four preseason All-Americans are on teams that are playing this season. Um uh, Richard LeCount of Georgia, Andre Sisco of Syracuse, and Trayvon Morig of TCU. Uh, Javon Holland of Oregon was also on there. It's a talented safety, but they're, obviously they're not playing. Hamza Nazirullah-Dean, I butchered that name, of Florida State is also a guy that could could contend for that status. So I, I think there's a good chance that Kyle will be, 
Um, but I don't know that I, I am willing to commit to that yet. I, I, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, I think. He's asking for a prediction. Come on, Tyler. Either predict it or not. I, I said I'd take the field. I'm just explaining my, my – my, Okay. Well, you seem like you were pulling a carter on us. And <laughs> no. I'm taking, the, I'm taking the field. I'm taking the field. Did you do it in crayon? Did you make your prediction in crayon? <laughs> I didn't do it in crayon. I didn't do it left-handed either. Okay. Uh, next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah 3. Uh, how is Micah Jones progressing? Do you see him getting playing time? Um, he hasn't created a buzz. We haven't seen a practice since March 5th. Haven't heard a whole lot from Micah Jones. Um, you know, and he could at some point be one of those guys that just kind of goes along very quietly and then all of a sudden kind of figures it out and is able to get playing time. I don't see that this year. I think he's playing a position – where there's a lot of depth, he's at that boundary receiver. So you, theoretically, you have Kevin Austin, Ben Skoranek, um, and Javon McKinley ahead of him there, and maybe Jordan Johnson too, right. if they decide to keep him there. So, boy, he's trying to move up the depth chart at the toughest position on the team maybe to do so. Yeah, I mean, that, the boundary receiver has probably been the most loaded position on Notre Dame's team in – at the top for a while now, going back to Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool, and uh, now you still got a, kind of a, a logjam there. So he hasn't been able to to make a big impact and, and make a run at at, at playing time. Um, certainly, it's hard for us to say positive things just because we don't get a chance to see the practice. Uh, he could be doing good things in practice that would be noteworthy, but we 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 just don't have that ability right now. I know there's been pictures taken of him, but other than that. Uh, I don't have a ton of insight if 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 Micah Jones' chance to play is is going to come sometime soon. Like you like you mentioned, the uh, even Jordan Johnson could be a guy that could could try to could could leap him on the depth chart because he's had a a, a good fall from Brian Kelly's reports. Next question is from Adam Luce at ACO Luce. Opinions on Steve Angeli and what is Notre Dame's 2021 roster going to look like with the eligibility rule allowing people to save eligibility this year? Well, I'm going to take the second part of that question first. As you know, I think we're going to have to get a ruling from the NCAA. Notre Dame processes its seniors different than a lot of other schools. The service academies do it the same way as Notre Dame. There's 14 players with expiring eligibility. They also have some other seniors with fifth-year options like Jafar Armstrong, Avery Davis, Aaron Banks, guys like that. But of the 14 that have eligibility expiring or would have had eligibility expiring, I'm not sure any of them would be real eager to come back. They'd either have an NFL future or they would, um, you know, want to get into the working world. Maybe out of those 14, the two that I could see maybe thinking – that it would be benefit them coming back are Kurt Heinish and Jordan Jenmark Heath. Um, Sean Crawford could really make things interesting and be the <laughs> nation's first seventh year senior. Uh, but I would say, you know, it's not going to be a big, as big a deal as we thought, as far as Steve Angeli, um, you know, I've read the same things that uh, you probably have about him. Haven't seen him play, uh, but he's very well thought of, and uh, it sounds like he's very interested in Notre Dame. I know he plays very good competition, 
in that part in New Jersey, that's also where Brandon Wimbush is from. Not that particular high school, but that particular area in that league. Yeah, and, and Steve Angeli also has an older brother who who was a teammate with uh, with Brandon Wimbush at St. Peter's Prep. Um, but yeah, and, and Steve, Steve Angeli hasn't hasn't become the full time starter before this season yet. So he's going into his first year as a full time starter and already has a slew of offers. Ohio State offered him after his freshman year. Um, and this past season as a sophomore, he was the backup and rotated and played a few series a game behind a, a, a quarterback that went to the Division three level. So it's not like he was behind Joe Montana or anything. But uh, certainly he was only a sophomore, so I wouldn't hold that against him. But there's lots to learn still about him. Notre Dame obviously was comfortable enough to offer him. Um, one of the first two quarterbacks that they offered in the 22 class recently, they hadn't offered anyone until then. So Tommy Reese identified Steve as a, as a guy that he liked a lot. Um, I watched Angeli's film. I wasn't terribly blown away. It wasn't that he was, wasn't bad, but it just wasn't a big sample size of a lot of impressive throws. I would say um, he's has solid athleticism. He could get away from guys could throw on the run. Um, so I think it's sort of a wait. I'm at a wait and see him right here. I mean, we, we, he doesn't have like a Brandon Wimbush resume or a Phil Dracovic resume, but also those guys didn't end up painting out at Notre Dame either. So, um, or even the resume that Tyler Buckner put out for himself last season. So um, I, I kind of want to see how he plays this year as the starting quarterback um, to get a better sense of um, his potential. But his offer list is pretty impressive for a kid that hasn't been a full-time starter yet. Um, as for the, the roster, the 2021 roster, I think, as far as I understand, Notre Dame doesn't ha- – I mean, they, they're just granted them eligibility. It doesn't mean Notre Dame has to keep them. So I think there could be guys that Notre Dame would, would maybe not invite back um, because it, it, is, it is still a financial commitment. Now, certainly you would say, well, Notre Dame makes plenty of money. They could afford to put more guys on scholarship. But um, they have to sort of weigh that and figure it out. I, I could, But the guys that – would maybe return to Kurt Heinz was a guy that I had also circled. I don't know how high on NFL draft boards he would be. Um, another guy was added to Kumba Ogundeji. He um, hasn't played a ton. Now, certainly if he has a big season, he might be ready to get out of here, but I think maybe that would be a guy that could potentially return. And if they want some sort of, if he sees like a value in being a, a senior leader or uh, returning leader next year, um, with because it seems like kind of Dalen Hayes has that role right now um, amongst the defensive line, um, so maybe that could be intriguing. But yeah, it, I mean it's hard to predict, and I think it's almost it's almost you would think, and it depends how how things play out at different schools that these guys would maybe if they're not NFL candidates be just as inclined to transfer somewhere else and get use that eligibility somewhere if, if they're if they've already graduated from Notre Dame and see if they can go somewhere and make a bigger impact. So I think um, – I don't know how it's going to work out. I, I imagine Notre Dame probably doesn't even know how it's going to work out yet. It's all so new. But um, I, I, I think uh, there's there's lots to learn about that still to come. And the last question was actually an old email that Ken from Pensacola had sent – I don't even know how long ago back, but I, I kind of kept it there for a rainy day because it was sort of timeless – um, and he asked, who has been the most successful walk-on player for the Irish since you all started covering Notre Dame football? And by successful, he says, I mean the team needs him on every play, whether it be on the offense, defense, or special teams. Well, it's interesting because it did rain here today. So the, it is a rainy day. <laughs> it is a rainy day. Uh, you know, there's a, there's 
I'll mention a couple people before I give my answer. Mike Anello was amazing on special teams and got an extra year and a scholarship for a fifth year to come back because he was so good at it. Um, Joe Schmidt was an MVP in 2014 and didn't even play the whole season. And he was the only person on the team, apparently, that could figure out Brian Van Gorder's defensive scheme, was getting everybody lined up the, the play before. But far and away to me, it's, it's Shane Walton. He came here on a soccer scholarship, walked onto the football team, became an All-America cornerback. You know, he, that 2002 Tyrone Willingham team that uh, – was such a surprise team early in the season, finished in the top 25. He and the defense were a big reason why. He was a big leader, uh, not only had a lot of interceptions, a lot of returns, uh, just a fabulous football player. So that would be my number one guy. Yeah, and obviously you've covered Notre Dame much longer than me, so I don't have Shane Walton on my list because I, I didn't cover Shane Walton. But I, I, I was – going back and forth between Joe Schmidt and Chris Fink. I think Chris Fink's probably the most talented walk-on that they've had um, during my time. And I started covering Notre Dame in 2012. Um, and, uh, but I, I think Joe, Joe Schmidt meant the most to his team's success. And that was how Ken had sort of phrased it. So I think that he would be the answer for me there. Um, even though he didn't have an NFL chance and Chris Fink uh, made an NFL or was signed as an undrafted free agent after finishing up here at Notre Dame. So um, they, they, they've done a good job of producing one or two guys um, every few years, transform from walk-on to scholarship and actually make a meaningful impact on the team. Um, it seems like, I don't know, Colin Grunhard might be the most likely to do that right now that's on the team currently. Um, and uh, I know a guy like Harrison Leonard was a, someone that we thought could maybe do that as a kicker. Uh, now, certainly Jonathan Doerr beat him out, and Harrison will sort of have to wait his turn to make an impact as a kicker potentially. Um, but I think those are the guys. And there's another guy, Michael Vinson, uh, a long snapper. Um, Brian Pullian even gave him a shout-out the other day when he gave us a Twitter report on special teams. We should, we should petition to have all the coaches be required to file Twitter reports on who's standing out uh, through camp. But – Michael Vincent was the back of long snapper last year and actually snapped a lot in practice because John Shannon was dealing with a back injury. And, um, and even through, I think he was basically the starter throughout the whole spring. Cause that was when John was trying to figure out what was going on and how he could handle it. And they worked his way through practices with not overloading him to make sure he was good enough for games and was good enough to win long snapper of the year, despite his back issue. Um, but Michael Vincent might be a guy that could even challenge to be the starting long snapper ahead of Alex Peitch, who's on, on scholarship as a, a, a true freshman. So, I don't know that he would certainly be in the conversation of most successful walk-on player, but those are just kind of the next walk-on guys to watch moving forward for Notre Dame. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. Um, we're going to hopefully keep sticking to a weekly schedule as long as this football season stays alive. Um, try to maybe get a guest on the podcast next week. We're hoping to get some sort of regularity with our schedule so that can give us a better way to invite people on the podcast because we actually have an idea of knowing when we're going to be needed but it's been sort of unpredictable here in the preseason so that's kind of been why we've we've held back on on getting podcast guests but we'll try to get some 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 names on the on the podcast you want to hear from so we don't have to listen to eric and i the whole time 
Stick with NDInsider.com for all your preseason Notre Dame football coverage.